everybody. Welcome back to the Soldiers of Cinema podcast. With me, as always, today, Mr. Cullen McFader. Hello, hello. And I, myself, Mr. Clark Coffey, are here today for episode 29. And I, you know, I'm a little, I'm a little scared, but mostly I'm really excited about this episode, Cullen. And, mm-hmm. and you know why? Because this episode, I feel like, is a big pivot point. And, and I hope that we don't upset people out there i I hope people will continue to take this journey with us but with this episode we're gonna kind of open up the scope of what this podcast covers Mm -hmm. um you know in the past episodes uh the previous 28 we have you know for the most part we've stuck like stuck to script it was like this is a soldiers of cinema podcast of course we got that title uh, at, from Werner Herzog, a, 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 an inspiration to both of us, and we went through all of his masterclass lessons, and then we started going through his filmography, and so it's been really narrowly focused to Herzog. But mm-hmm. you know, you and I, we've kind of talked about it. We're all, we're almost thirty episodes in, and we thought you know, it would really be interesting if we could you know open up, expand our horizons. And uh, and take in some other cinema subjects, mm-hmm, and so totally. that's exactly what we're going to do here. So with this episode, we're going to pivot to of all people Spielberg. Yeah, which is <laughs> arguably, you know, the it, it's such a funny comparison to go from Herzog to Spielberg because they're so they're such different filmmakers, both content wise and right. Um, I would say they're you know they're personas their public personas are so so different almost the polar opposites when it comes to <laughs> i guess for, popular filmmakers for sure so you know it it seems like a stretch but i you know i think that you know we're still who we are herzog is still so much a part of what informs our uh philosophies on film and so you know i think the lens through which we uh, approach all of this is is going to be really similar though and yeah. i think we'll be surprised yeah. at the similarities but yeah i mean we thought it would be a good idea to explore being able to stretch out just past uh that that limited kind of narrow range of of content and that's and that's not to say also by the way that we're not ever going to go back and revisit any more of herzog's filmography i, totally. I don't think that's yeah. going to be the case at all no. and as a matter of fact i mean this may even actually open up you know, give us the flexibility to examine his work in other more, you know, interesting ways where we can actually mm-hmm. compare him to other directors. We can contrast and compare more uh, from a wider range of films and filmmakers. So, yeah, I'm excited. Like I said, a tad scared. I hope <laughs> I hope people will, will continue to take this journey with us in spite of this change. But I think it's going to be a good one. And, yeah, I uh, mean, at the, at the end of the day, the Soldiers of Cinema podcast is... We're the soldiers here. We uh, we're driving the ship. There you go. <laughs> so it's... no, but I think it'll be interesting. I think again, it, it doesn't. To me, you it doesn't strip away the. Uh, I do. I am a captain. But... You drive. No, but wait. But is that is it called driving a ship or is it... I don't know steering or steering helmsman. Captain-y. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, um, but but I think that the the what's important is that it it's still because of how influenced we both are about of, of Herzog. Yeah. Um, we, you know, the analysis that we're going to do is the same. It's the same type of analysis. It's the same conversations that we would have about yeah. a Herzog movie. But, um, you know, why, to me, why limit ourselves? There and, you go. Um, Absolutely. Only, yeah. So, yeah. So without further ado, then. So 
we are going to be discussing Steven Spielberg, and I'm pretty sure he doesn't need any introduction for any of you out there. Um, a little known filmmaker. A little known <laughs> filmmaker. I mean, I think, you know, it's uh, as Colin and I discussed, you know, uh, uh, in our last episode, uh, you know, he was the first person that I ever even knew who was a director even yeah. as a young child. I didn't even I think before I even knew knew what the position was or what they did, it was like Spielberg was the embodiment of this is a person who makes a film when mm -hmm. I was a kid. And I've had I've had many influences um, like I, I still do. But I would say if there was one person throughout my entire life, especially in my youth, yeah. who was like the total influence of why I wanted to make movies, it would very easily go to Spielberg. Um, yeah. I remember I just a quick aside. I remember being at like probably four years old and my mom asked me what I wanted to do because it was like this kindergarten assignment where we had to write down <laughs> what our dream jobs were and I said Steven Spielberg and she said okay so you want to direct movies and I said no no, no I want to be Steven Spielberg <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be a director I want to be him uh, <laughs> so, and well yeah. and, and I'm pretty sure that I had some similar type moments you know mm -hmm. when I was a kid so so definitely a big inspiration uh yes for yeah. both of us um, and I think forever, like for so many filmmakers, for so many that, people, yeah. it, right? Even even if you've never had a, a desire or an interest in making film, I mean, I think his films have had such an impact, you know, on such a wide audience. I mean, you know, Herzog clearly is a, you know, is a is a landmark filmmaker. But let's be honest here, you know, his work is is somewhat niche. The, yeah. For the you know when you yeah. compare that to. Uh, Steven Spielberg's work and the audience that Spielberg has found. I mean, Herzog just, it doesn't even come close. Yeah. Um, you know, Spielberg basically, and we're going to talk about this. I mean, he, with Lucas, ushered in the era of blockbusters. And mm -hmm. for better or worse, you know, the uh, the extrapolation of that is kind of what we have here to some degree uh, with Marvel movies and, uh, and cinema today. Yeah. Cinema today. So. And or I, you not, know, as we get into cinema it. today, if you're a uh, Scorsese, but um, yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> but, but as about... we get into it too, I, I think it's really important to note as well that that we're trying not to, you know, repeat any steps. Like we don't want to just make the analysis of Spielberg something that everyone's heard before, um, you know. And so with the two movies that we've chosen to watch, um, which is Duel and ET. We're trying to take a look at those from a lens of, you know, how did Hollywood change? What was the, you know, the context of Hollywood the at the time? Of, and, yeah. you know, even just going in the analysis of those movies on their own, um, like we want to look at things like, like what are the themes that a lot of people, you know, Duel isn't just a car chase movie. How do we examine these movies um, much in the way that we would have examined Herzog's? So sure. yeah. trying not to tread over, you know, already had conversations well let's not make promises bring... that let's not make promises that we can't keep cullen i don't know there's <laughs> only 12 notes somebody a man can play but yeah let's so so you're right so so let's talk about the two films though that we're going to kind yeah. of use yeah. uh for the focus of this discussion we've got duel which was released in 1971 and i guess released it was aired yes. in 1971 actually because it was it was a made for tv movie and uh I, you're the resident spielberg you know, scholar uh, so you so you can come in whenever we need all, all the the trivia and kind of facts but right i mean spielberg was 25 when he made this film so quite young mm -hmm. he had done quite a bit of television and this is still for television but this was the first feature length project he'd ever shot is that yeah. correct yeah he directed some shorter like 
uh, TV shows, TV Columbo. shows, episodes, or just yeah. came in for for like certain pickups and things like that. But this was the first time he ever got to kind of helm a movie himself. Right. Um, shot in twelve days, which I think is is amazing. kind of amazing. All on location, um, and not you know not for Spielberg's speedy schedule, but rather because the movie had pretty much no money behind it. It was quite literally supposed to just be an ABC movie of the week. Yeah, um, exactly. And so I think it's kind of remarkable that it blew up to, to anything more than that. Um, and really is oh, kind of a testament to, to the skill and the craft of, of, of Spielberg himself. Yeah. Uh, but I also think that it was one thing that always interested me a lot too, and that you were just talking about this before we were recording was that the idea that the studio was really kind of gunning down on him to make this, Probably not something that wouldn't have been nearly as special as it would have been um, had the, the decision Spielberg wanted to make not be, not come to fruition. Um, and one of those being that they wanted the entire movie to be pretty much shot like on a soundstage with just real right. projection and yep. very much a more formal um, like kind of style of directing a movie like this very much more low well, a lot budget, more what you'd safer. find yeah a lot yeah. more what you'd find in uh, older films or and TV in yeah. TV yeah absolutely. Because they were yeah. they were terrified, frankly, that, you know, with this budget and this this few days that, you know, how could we how how could he possibly get all this shot? Yeah, this 25 year old just, kid. Yeah. It's just tough. You know, it's because everything takes place. Uh, we're we're inside cars. We've got, you know, mounts on cars where you know, there's stunts. There's all this kind of stuff. And yeah, with with 12 days, that's just extremely difficult to do that. But um, but yeah, there's an interesting story there, you know, so. Uh, Spielberg tells the story and it cut and this always kind of blows me away. I mean, the confidence that some people have at such a young age, I'm like, God, mm-hmm. I wish I had that. But, you know, uh, Spielberg, you know, when, when the studio said, Hey, you're going to have to shoot all the inside car stuff process, uh, so that we can get this done in time. He said, you know, that's going to ruin the film. Uh, it's going to completely take people out of the, out of the reality here. So he said, you know, l- let me do it. Uh, I know I can get it done. And the studio said, okay, well, look, here's what we'll do. You spend the first half day out there shooting plates so that so that you've got them. And then we'll give you like three days. And if you're on track, if it looks like you're going to make it, then we'll let you keep shooting on location. But if it's not, we're going to pull you back in and we've got those plates and we're going to use them for, this, for these process shots. Um, but obviously he was able to pull it off. Um, but amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. amazing. It's, you know, it's um, interesting too. you know, you and I were talking about this and it's something that we, we really want to make a big part of this discussion. It, the uh, landscape yes. of film yeah. when this film was released, because these two films were released 11 years apart, uh, Duel and E.T., but boy, they couldn't have been released in a more radically different film environment. And, mm-hmm. you know, a, a lot of this change was actually brought about by Spielberg himself, uh, yeah, especially if very you much, yeah. take Spielberg and Lucas as a team. Um, you know, Spielberg actually changed, you know, the industry. Uh, not single-handedly, of course, but he was a big part of that. And so when Duel was released in 1971, we have what I think is one of the greatest eras of cinema, mm-hmm. which is, you know, some people call it New Hollywood or American New Wave or Hollywood yeah. Renaissance. Yeah. but but this is, you know, my favorite era of film, all told. Uh, but, you know, Duel comes out just a few years into this. I think, you know, you can kind of use like Bonnie and Clyde or Easy yeah, 68 Rider. 67, kind of thing, yeah. 68 is kind of the, the beginning of this era. But we have a major departure here for the types of films that are getting theatrical release and are finding an audience 
And uh, I think it's interesting to note that, you know, Duel seems to share quite a few, uh, you know, quite a few thematic and technical aspects with a lot of these films. Is that something mm-hmm. that you, you agree well, with? Well, yeah. I mean, if we think about the, the like, so I've actually spent the last few weeks for some reason just watching a lot of, like, large studio pictures from, like, the Ooh. early 60s. Um, okay, early like 60s. Funny Girl and West Side Story and, like, all yeah. these, like, you know, major big musicals. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's so interesting to think that, you know, especially watching something like Funny Girl, which um, was 1968, um, which is the Barbra Streisand, um, you know, Don't Rain on My Parade movie. Um, And watching that and how formal it is, how huge, massive lights on big studio sets, huge ensemble casts, you know, these these massive, massive budgets. Um, to think about the fact that that came out within a few years or sometimes in the same year, like Bonnie and Clyde, um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Easy Rider, um, and, you know, Duel being, of course, a TV movie, but having a theatrical release after its success in, in Europe, um, that you you look at what I thought was so interesting is, like, I can totally see why these movies took off and why yeah. the style of, of this, like, new, way, uh, new wave Hollywood um kind of blew up and it's because it's so refreshing it's so visceral it's so real it's you know and very much in the line with like what a lot of spielberg um you know his kind of famous i guess touches on movies is that the kineticism of these movies too Mm -hmm. that you can feel this like constantly forward momentum of of energy and of of, um of just this this incredible technical craft and skill more immersion immersion. well and it's interesting too i just want to point out a couple like because there's some technical changes that happened that i think had a major impact on this change of look and feel i mean you Mm -hmm. mentioned funny girl and that's an interesting it's interesting that you did because you know funny girl was shot um was uh um I'm pretty sure was that shot 70 millimeter. Mm-hmm. I know it was 65, tech- yeah, 65, and it was Technicolor. And so you know, Technicolor was the premier color process. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is actually even kind of late that a lot of films had even switched from this to some of that the Eastman Kodak film that was yeah. kind of. Um, re- I, I don't want to speak out of turn, so I, I won't say the exact year, but you know. Uh, Eastman Kodak produced, you know, much cheaper color process that didn't mm-hmm. require, you know, Technicolor is just an extremely expensive process. And and so you've got Funny Girl, which is, you know, 65 millimeter. It's Technicolor. It's this saturated. I mean, this, you know, like you said, lit with, you know, I don't even I can't even fathom what kind of <laughs> like water energy used to like. <laughs> right. Seriously, it's like you've got to have an entire coal power plant just to, mm-hmm. you know, uh, power that set there. Mm-hmm. But and then you move to this 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 less saturated um, Eastman cheaper Eastman Kodak film where you films move, were lit naturally. They lit more you know, naturally. Even you think about the diner scene in this, it's where it's like the film. light that's coming in the window is what's lighting um, Dennis Weaver. Yep, yep. Um Conrad L. Hall, who's my personal favorite cinematographer, but um, he was like really one of the f- first American pioneers in terms of cinematography of someone to go. I'm going to light this scene with one shot with one light. Mm-hmm. Like I'm literally just going to point a light at the actor. I'm going to bounce it around with some mirrors. I'm going to get some cool stuff that way. But well, but you're like moving this... away from like high key lighting, yeah. right? which was so yeah. much a part of this, this older 
golden era of Hollywood, right? Mm-hmm. Where everything is bright and beautiful. And, you know, part and you of saw that, that move into TV much more like that became the look of, of like, well, it still is in television. Yeah, to a exactly. great extent that, you know, yeah. any kind of comedy or, or multi-camera show is almost always lit with that kind of high key, high key yeah. kind of flatter yeah. light. But, but yeah, I mean, that's just, so there's, there's technical things that are happening. There's budgetary things that are happening, right? Studios are saying, you know, it's, if you don't have much money, you're going to go shoot at this cheaper film. You don't need, you know, five Technicolor technicians there to, you know, make sure that your color is going to come and out. Studios right. And studios are running out of money too. Like um, Hello are... Dolly, which I think came out a year after Funny Girl, was the next Barbra Streisand big musical. It was a flop. It was a huge flop. Yeah. Because I think again, you know, studios were just kind of like, what the hell do we do? Well, and you've um, got baby boomers, right? So yeah. an, you've got, and look at all the things that are happening culturally too, at least, you know, I'll speak to, to here in this country. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you've got the Vietnam War, you've got, you know, um, political, you've got cynicism, you've got uh, hippie movement, you've got civil rights movement, you've got, you know, there's a lot of unrest, civil unrest and strife and struggle. Uh, there's a lot of things happening. I think, you know, the, that like compression of the 50s is mm-hmm. like is now boiling over and i think the you know the art of that of uh of the of new hollywood is showing that and i think these films are finding audiences you know the baby boomer generation was gigantic and so there's this huge audience for this for these films and the, the faith put into young directors like coppola spielberg lucas mm-hmm. um scorsese i think and, and so a uh, one common sort of thing that um, is that this duel is not actually Spielberg's um, first feature length directing thing. Mm. He actually directed an episode of um, The Name of the Game, which was each episode was about 90 minutes. Oh, um, so that was so, okay. But it was that was a strictly a TV episode. Right. Um, and again, when you look at that, very much that formalist tv style of like mm-hmm. shot in studio shot whereas this was really just like spielberg and his crew running around the desert and and yeah. shooting stuff very um you had a really good word for it um which is that it was very run and gun it sure did um, seem it yeah that it I mean, that it that it feels and it sort of feels a lot like um like i was sort of making the comparison to um easy rider in the way that like there's you know lens flares yeah. coming in the in into the lens that they're shooting directly into the sun that it's you know they're not these shots don't feel, you know, when the truck comes up and is and is chasing Dennis Hopper, it doesn't feel like it was some grand orchestrated, um, perfected, rehearsed movement. Yeah. It felt like someone in the car with Dennis Weaver trying to get all this stuff on, on camera that it's shaking. <laughs> yeah. it. And because of that, it feels very visceral. It very feels visceral. Very, very real. And immersive. Immersive, exactly. Yeah. Great word for it. Yeah. And yeah. Like very much, you know, and of course you're a huge Mad Max fan. Ah, um, yeah. That it that it starts to kind of bleed into that territory. Yeah. Too. It really, it's, it's, and it's very kinetic. Yeah. Because I even, you know, being a huge Mad Max fan now, I, you know, and I will, I have to admit uh, to everyone out there. So I had actually not seen Duel before preparation for this podcast i hadn't mm-hmm. seen it i thought i had but i had actually seen sugarland express <laughs> so i get two minutes into this film and i'm like wait a minute i've never seen this so um so i was quite surprised at how much of this film made me think of mad max mm-hmm. and the road warrior uh i was it, i was really surprised um but uh it had that uh, so much of that same that visceral you know dirty 
kinetic visceral feel to it um yeah I, I, yeah I, I was really impressed i was quite surprised that this was a made for tv film frankly yeah and it's it's what i think is also um something that that you know sort of comes up a lot in conversations about it but i kind of want to emphasize is the like efficiency of the storytelling too yeah that there's not time spent on um you know getting to really know there's no dennis weaver's motivations or yeah. is like that it, it really is like you plop in you know what you need to know about him no there's exposition no exposition and from the villain of like you never even see the the dr truck driver's face um except for a few few glimpses just probably accidentally when he's like driving you can see them but um I think it's it's interesting that you know because I even so that I love the opening of this movie so much where it's it's you just a first person perspective of of the car and like you can hear the radio that I mm -hmm. stole it for a short film I did two mm -hmm. years ago um, of just because I think that it's such a great world building thing of like you're it was like what a fantastically efficient way to get the themes of the movie in place by just having you know the opening credits roll over this guy going from his suburban, you know, home as like a businessman to driving through these, you know, you get the idea of the isolation that he's in, yeah. that these roads are run Leaving down, the they're city. windy, they're, they're, they're not safe necessarily to drive at high speeds on. Yeah. Um, but you're also getting this overrun kind of uh, like overview of, of what this character does. And he's flipping back and forth between these radio stations and you, you're getting these quite comedic kind of little segments of like, the one man who's kind of emasculated by his wife because she's well this is huge the man actually house and, so, yeah and so you, you can is, talk really well about this a little bit that well the, it the was era. you know not having yeah. seen the film before right this was one of the things that that really first stuck out to me because i'm watching this and i'm like okay you know and of course like yes like you described this pov shot i thought was extremely efficient a really really efficient way of kind of showing us who this person is and where this is going to take place and bring us to the set and setting of the action which is so important and i love the way that it showed this this progression uh further and further away from civilization um but uh yeah i mean i, I this this radio sh program this talk show comes on the radio and we it's it's talking about census and uh like the the, a guy calls into this talk show and says, you know, um, well, <laughs> starts talking, kind of, like you said, kind of comedically about, well, you know, should I put myself as the head of household? It's like, I'm the man, but <laughs> I stay home and raise the kids and my wife goes out uh, and, and brings home the bacon. And he's like, I, I don't want to admit this. Like, what if my neighbors find out about this? And so, like, right off the bat, I get this extremely strong, strong sense that there is that that this is kind of a theme of this film. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I'm not quite sure what I think Spielberg is saying. I can't really quite tell if he has an opinion about this, frankly, mm -hmm. but it, or know, if it, it may does, come from the, the screenwriter. Cause I know, don't Spielberg know. Didn't right. Write it, of course, but, um, and, but it's hard, but in the film though, I can't quite tell if, yeah. if, you know, there, there's a part of me that it's just, it's very interesting because right in this whole film, the, the main character is, being you know he, he's basically like a mouse being chased by a cat and it's kind of the whole process of this is quite emasculating for him he's he doesn't have power he doesn't have leverage he doesn't have these things that are traditionally would be considered masculine and we're looking at you know 1971 i think this is a time period when women are becoming more equal in the workplace i mean at least there's the beginning of this they're working more um feminism uh, mm -hmm. is, is, and, you know, I'm not an expert on these things, but I think, you know, it was becoming more prominent and women were more outspoken. 
And so maybe this was some kind of response to that. I don't know, but it really did stand out to me. It kind of reads pretty ridiculous today, in my opinion, um, almost to the point of kind of, I don't know. It feels parody. It feels really, yeah, it feels really, you know, uh, out of place. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels pretty, pretty cheesy, but I, I think that it might speak to that era. And again, it was hard for me to tell what, you know, what Spielberg's stance on that was. Did he, did he agree? Did he felt like if a woman is working and a man isn't, does that, is that what masculinity is? I mean, mm-hmm. I think, I think viewpoints, hopefully, at least for most of us have changed and that's not the case now. Um, but yeah, it was interesting, and I felt well, like even that just was like a the theme throughout it, you know. Yeah, and that they, that you know, um, our main character is driving this like bright red, you know, smaller Plymouth car, and he's being chased by this, you know, huge giant, blue, truck. you know, very blue collar, huge giant truck. That's yeah. this brown, dirty, rusty thing, and it, it's sort of you know, even sort of getting away from Spielberg for a moment. Perhaps the and I, I haven't read up on this, but but perhaps the intention with the the screenplay was this idea that yeah it's it's like the the old workmanlike um era is kind of being ushered out by this more business um which is considered softer cleaner, it's considered softer exactly less yeah. masculine less manly yeah. less macho and and it's, dennis weaver's by no means portrayed as some brave hero no. in this movie either he's he's no honestly kind of it's it's again it's, it's comedic sort of how how almost cowardly he is in moments almost that, I, but know, it doesn't and his car doesn't go as fast and yeah yeah it doesn't seem to me that it's supposed to, it doesn't seem Mm-mm. to me though that it's supposed to be a parody um, or mocking it doesn't really feel no it, like cynical in that way it but, feels just kind of but it's yeah. just a th- yeah it's certainly a theme i feel mm-hmm. like and so i i think it'd be you you could in my opinion make a very strong uh make a very strong argument that this film is kind of about this person's emasculation and it was almost kind of like i don't know if you've seen that film like falling down or something you know? yes yes yeah, um yeah, yeah. you know it almost kind of like reminded me of that Schumacher. kind of film right um in a certain sense but um yeah i you know so i just thought that was another thing that stood out to me and i thought you know I, i'd have to go back and kind of study this because i'm not uh, a historian i'm not quite sure exactly what the the culture was regarding feminism uh, in 1971, but it did definitely stand out to me as a theme for this uh, episode, mm-hmm. pretty or this uh, f- this film, pretty strongly. So yeah. let's compare that then. So if we flash, we fast forward to you know 11 years to 1982, yeah. we have a very, very, very different film. You know, mm-hmm. now Spielberg's 36. Um, boy, he's kind what, of the biggest name in Hollywood. He's I kind of yeah. I mean, he's like if he isn't, I don't know who else is. Maybe yeah. Coppola at this point maybe had but you've got you know what films does he have under his belt now by well, this so point he did sugarland next and then he did jaws but then jaws he did is close huge. encounters close encounters did, is huge uh later raiders which was a bit of a flop but then he did raiders and yep. now he's here on et so yeah so he's got definitely a you know kind of just a few notches in his belt just a couple <laughs> yeah just a couple uh but yeah i mean you've got jaws which you know many people claim kind of is the beginning of the blockbuster yeah, era invented really and, the blockbuster, you know yeah. um it, you've huge films and of course et itself went on to be mammoth gi- gigantic mm-hmm. um yeah. one of my favorite movies as a kid um, yeah still i think it's very it's a very emotional movie yeah um, I, I think one thing that's interesting too though is that you look at um 
just even the style that he uses for et versus this and i find it oh, really so interesting different. that he goes back to almost this formalism that that like the mm -hmm. the the shots in et become very composed the mm -hmm. movements of the camera become very rehearsed very accurate and, and articulate um much less of the handheld shakiness zooms and things we, like that we that still, we see in but duel. we stick with high contrast light but, yeah we stick, we stick with, with we stick with a lot of those spielbergisms and that 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 new hollywood sort of stuff that stuck around which yeah. is yeah exactly no more huge studio lights a lot of Alan Davia, who did the cinematography for um et just loved to like blast haze in the rooms and oh my gosh so, it's so thick it's so funny i got it just yeah. real quick i got it's you know in some of those so you and i both mentioned this we both talked about it i mean and if you haven't seen the film in a while, it might be hard to recall this. But, you know, I just finished watching it. I've got the, the 4K UHD disc release. So I watched it uh, in that way on my OLED TV. And f first of all, it looks just beautiful, just mm -hmm. beautiful. But there is so much haze in the <laughs> interiors and all the nighttime exteriors. Yeah, the, with the fog and the, such yeah, yeah, that yeah. such that in the interiors in a lot of those shots at, at 4K, I can literally see the haze rolling out of the fog machine that must be like, like just off screen, off just screen. off screen. Yeah, because I, mean, I can literally like it's it's like supposed to be a children, a child's bedroom. <laughs> well, I like that's in the one shot that always comes back to me is when Elliot fakes sick and wakes up in the morning and his mom goes out. I'm like, and, no wonder and you're sick. And it's like the beams of light that are coming through his, his window because he's got it, the blinds closed. It's, and it's like, mom, yeah. mom, I'm, I'm dying smoking of pollution. Like, the house. Pollution. <laughs> it's like, I can't yeah. breathe Talk in this house. Talk about <laughs> But no, I think so. But I think that's a really good point that the, the camera style went really, not returned to formalism in the sense that like it was, you know, there because it's very rare in those like 60s um, big budget studio kind of behemoth, musicals and stuff like that to even see a close-up other yeah. than like very few dialogue scenes where it was like yeah. but even then the closest they got was really a medium close-up of there's quite like a few close-ups but, in this but film. in et you know it's it's a really interesting blend and i think it really talks to the era of filmmaking that really took over in the the 80s which was this like kind of best of both worlds example mm -hmm. of like mm -hmm. let's take the freedom and the the realism of like new Hollywood, but let's combine that with the accuracy and the budgets of uh, old Hollywood and yeah. like get this. Cause of course ET undeniably much larger budget than, oh, than uh, dual, you know, yeah. it's just a few more dollars thrown in. Yeah. There. Just um, a few. But, um, but you look at just the, uh, like the way that those things, especially with Spielberg, the through lines of those things, um one you know, that I, having I, been said i just want to pop in here real quick now sure, obviously yeah. this is 81 dollars, but et's budget was still only 10 and a half million which is yeah i guess i mean i, I think of how much money goes to like cg these days and it, it's mind-boggling I, mean, like, I just want to pause on that for just a second yeah. i'm so sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you but no, no, for no, a moment no. i mean so just think about that for a second though now obviously this that's is 19... considered small budget now this, well, <laughs> this is this is this is 1981 dollars, and mm -hmm. so i you know obviously we've had inflation but and, and i again i don't want to like speak out of turn here but i'm you know i'm going to guess that 10 million in 81 that's 40 years ago, right? Would be 26 million today. So there you go. Now, that is not even remotely large budget. A, a no. large budget. Let's, That's for comparison, I'm going to look up Pete's Dragon, which was a that David a Lowry mind... kids movie. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to look up Pete's Dragon budget. Came out in 2016. 
65 million dollars for pete's dragon which yeah. was like very similar kind it. of content which is you know is it live action meets a, yes i actually okay. really it's uh david lowry who did old man of the gun and ghost story and a few other things i really like okay. him as a director but he did this kids movie and uh, but i think it's interesting it's a really interesting point that even nowadays if you see a movie that's 10 10 million dollars that's like a fox searchlight or yeah. a oh. sony pictures classics like that's like a ladybird yeah. yeah um kind of like one of those a24 movies like yep. have a lot of their budgets are you know like uh if i go to um uncut gems yeah let's see what the not to hark on budget that was 19 uncut but gems had a 19 million dollar budget that's only really five million dollars adjusted for inflation less than et yeah so yeah that, that movie is very much seen as like a kind of like a very low budget gritty yeah. oh absolutely movie. so yeah. it's it is it is an interesting point that you make and technically goes very well with what we were talking about our last episode which was this idea that big movies didn't <laughs> used to have huge budgets yeah like they really didn't and i i and it's and it's well, again it goes back to that whole idea that i kind of i i mentioned last time which is like when i was a kid and of course et came out you know 15 or so 18 years before i was born yeah but um when i was a kid uh the you know i grew up born in 98 grew up in the early 2000s the movies that i was watching even then a lot of like large movies that were out in theaters that were getting accolades and getting really big press you know attention weren't huge budgets they weren't 200 300 million dollars they were kind of similar they were 20 to 30 million maybe like 60 million was a big budget movie yeah um but now it's it's insane how much how much movies are, are made for um, yeah. but but with that being said too i think it's really interesting to look at the style of spielberg that that really carries on through his work and it's like you see again this this um the shot that i mentioned to you before we, we were recording but the when hopper runs out of the sorry not weaver not dennis hopper dennis weaver um <laughs> always get those names confused yeah. but um when he runs out of the 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 store and it's like he's running after the truck as it pulls away and it's like probably a a 75 foot dolly track um that dollies laterally with with weaver as he runs right and it's such a spielberg shot like it's such a shot that you look at and you go like yeah that's that's very much something that spielberg loves to do because then you watch et and you get all these long dolly shots of them in the um you know i think of the one in the forest when they're on the bike right before he flies yeah you've got this cool dolly shot along with them you've got um you know it's really interesting to me to see those through lines um because a lot of times directors there's some directors that really shift their style like they don't necessarily stick with the same style or or use similar camera movements again and again i think spielberg definitely grew you know yes between these films i mean you know like you had talked about the 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 kineticism of duel but one of the i i thought there was such an extraordinary efficiency with movement in et as well but in a different way maturity much more mature yeah one of the things that really stood out with me uh, on E.T. was that Spielberg would often not show the action as it was happening, but he would move, he, but he would bring the camera to look ha- the, the half second after the action mm-hmm. took place. So you would, so give me an example of that. What's, what's so there were so moment? many places where now a lot of this is probably um, by necessity because of the limitations of special effects with mm-hmm. E.T. with the creature. And and we know that he's a smart guy. He didn't show us Jaws. I think he learned that on that film. But he, but even in Duel, he knew he's like, well, don't don't show the driver of the truck. Right. Yeah. Keep that a mystery. The Make, truck is the villain. The yeah. truck is the villain. And with Jaws, it was a focus on suspense. And it was like it looked, you know, and just, 
again, it was kind of necessity, but it worked out to be great. It was like, look, don't show, don't show the shark, don't show the shark, you know, build that up to the very end. And with E.T., it's like you see so much of you see like the trail that the action has left. Yes. The camera is almost like it's like it's like almost like the camera's like a half second late, you know, especially but, near the beginning of the picture when yes, you like runs off in the bushes. And all you see the bushes of these. Shaking and there's and, a yeah. ton of these little moments, though, where yeah. you see and, and we get to infer what's happened and we get to he invites us actively to be a part of the storytelling. And I think that is one of the one of Spielberg's biggest, you know, assets as a filmmaker. And I think it really comes into his own on this film. I mean, not to say that he hadn't on previous films, but I mean, you really see it here. We're talking his, about his, I think that his work with with um, child actors in this movie is phenomenal. Well, it's amazing. Yeah. The, I mean, like, the, no the performances that he gets out of these kids is it's like, outstanding. Yeah. I, I can I can honestly say I've never seen a movie since or before that where where child actors there's certainly been movies that had amazing child actors that have been made since but the like the the naturalness of the conversations of i and what's funny too is that i i don't know um how old your siblings are uh your brother yeah but um, 30 30, 34 so so you're the older sibling yeah yeah i was the younger like i was i related so much to elliot in this movie because i was um i'm four years younger than my brother which doesn't seem like much, but is a really big thing when you're growing up. Sure. And on the street that we lived, the street that I grew up on, all of the kids were my brother's age. So it was the exact, like, there's nothing that that screams to me, this is my childhood, more than Elliot coming in on their card game, trying to be a part of it and being shooed off. It's like, go get the pizza. That was me. That was literally my childhood growing up. You know, they'd be playing GameCube downstairs or Nintendo 64 or whatever. I'd want to come play Mario Kart with them. And it was like, no, 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 like, go get the pizza and maybe you can play a race. And it's like this this exact, it's, it's incredible how much. That worked. um, Even my brother actually watched, this is probably two years ago now, but he watched it. Uh, again uh just casually and, and texted me after and he was like you're literally the kid from et <laughs> and, so, like, and it's I find just that really be, funny so to me. i do find this to be really extraordinary you know so i was you know the movie came out in 82 mm-hmm. i was six years old and i saw it in the theater and i made my parents take me i think i saw it probably five times at the theater right. when i was a kid and i was talking to my brother last night and you know so my brother's a, is 10 years younger than me and he said that E.T. was a, a huge film for his childhood, too. Mm-hmm. And now, and then here you are, you know... A, echoing a, sent- the same echo, sentiment. Echoing that exact same sentiment. And you're 30 years off or whatever. Not 30 years. 20 years. 20 years. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not You're not 12. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> little do you know. <laughs> but, uh, but it's amazing to me how, you know, and it's like... So I was an only child when I saw the film. And mm-hmm. I but But I felt like, I mean, I had no problem, you know, putting myself yeah. into that right position. Um, but yeah, and my I, I think my brother probably felt, uh, you know, some of the similar sentiments as you, because I probably would have been, I was like, my brother would come down into my room and be like, Let, let's play play Nintendo. And I'd be like, go get me a soda. <laughs> yeah, well, even and even going beyond that, too, like my parents divorced when I was very young. So oh, yeah. growing up in this, like, like, that was like, that's what I find so remarkable about the realism in which it it portrays these family dynamics. And I think that that's yeah. what's missing from so many. I kind of, you know, in, in my circle of friends refer to it as like 
it ushered in the Amblin era of family movies, which were these like realistic kind of family dramas that were masquerading as, as these family pictures. So like Mrs. Mm. Doubtfire, um, another one that I used to, nobody has ever seen this movie except for me, but I, one of my favorite movies as a kid, um, magic in the water, um, yeah, never basically an E.T. ripoff, but uh, um, like it was, it's like it's set in like British Wait, Columbia. I, I, but thought, uh, I thought E.T. ripoff was Mac and me. That too. I never actually saw <laughs> Mac and me, though. Never saw Mac and me. But but it's this 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 like I, I yeah, again, I called the Amblin kind of era free willy similar where it's like this family drama about this like orphaned kid who, you know, very much a family drama, but masquerading as this like family kind of extraordinary somewhat hinging on the supernatural you know relationship with this whale and it's like this is the same thing where you get the sci-fi elements in this family so i i think that's really the brilliance of it is that um you know especially growing up watching et and being able to point to it and not only say like hey that kid's a you know he's a he's a 10 year old boy i, I relate to that but like mm-hmm. the dynamics of yeah. his siblings the dynamics of his parents being well, so so um you know my dad didn't go off to mexico but so um true and so real to me as a kid um, well i know is, that spielberg has said that and i think i think maybe he's he says this still today i know he has at some point so i don't know if he would still say this but i know he's you know said in the past that this is his most personal film mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and he describes it as a response to close encounters too because yeah. he says that the ending of close encounters where um uh you know our, the main character whatever his name is um walks off with the the richard dreyfus is the actor of course but mr um, holland mr holland yeah, walks off with uh <laughs> walks <laughs> off with um the aliens like leaves his family basically abandons his family and goes off right and he said that spielberg has always said that that ending really bothered him yeah um and that you know so he remade the ending really with but but it's about family it's about friendship it's about the everlasting kind of and we kind of again discussed this a little bit before we were recording but the idea that he um it's not goodbye like it's not even though he may never see et again that like this idea that friendship can transcend yeah um space and time and that you like you'll always remember him and it's what's funny too is that there was actually supposed there was a planned sequel not directed by spielberg but there was this there was plans for a sequel to come out were there i I heard that the studio kind of pushed and spielberg even tried briefly to come up with some story ideas that that he you know might consider worthy Mm -hmm. and that spielberg said he couldn't come up with any ideas and so he said look you know the film is perfect let's leave it at that and the and the studio agreed but you're saying there there were so there was there was there was a development i don't think it was ever like in serious development but the plot was going to be that et comes back to elliot when he's like a teenager um, and elliot wants nothing to do with him <laughs> it's just that would suck i'm just like so my, glad. my alien friend comes back ah eh, you know I, i'm too cool for you ET. i know it's right like... you, you just like tra- traversed you know like the galaxy uh yeah. and i'm not gonna be yeah i'm so glad which seems very much like something that would have come out in the late 80s early 90s it does but, it but does. um but I'm no so i'm so glad they I, didn't do that and I'm i so... i just you know there there's this like even i saw one of my favorite experiences i've had watching a movie was i saw et in 2016 i think with a live orchestra um oh, so it was like wow. a real orchestra playing um with the movie it was it was at the um it was called the sony center back then it's called something else now but um in toronto so huge venue like big like 100 person orchestra that's like, beautiful cool. beautiful um experience but um like the moments of 
sadness in this movie are genuinely sad. Like oh when, my gosh, yeah, ED dude, I was about to cry. And it's well, like, I was just it's watching. Like, oh my god, I just and watched Drew it for this podcast, and I was like, oh my gosh, like dude, like e. that that reaction when when ET dies and Drew Barrymore just oh. like doesn't know what to do. Uh, that it's heartbreaking, and what, what I, I just again I find it so. I remember, and this is kind of more of an anecdote. Um, but I, I think what's so interesting with this movie too, is that everyone has kind of personal stories related to it. Um, and there was this YouTube guy that was like probably back in 2010 that used to do all these, um, he was like reviewing all of Spielberg's. Yeah. That's what his name's YouTube guy. (laughs) I can't remember what I think Don Pfeff was his name. I think, I don't know where he is now, but he had like, yeah. So YouTube guy, he had probably like a thousand subscribers was not big by any means, but I stumbled across his channel somehow and was watching. He was doing this like. All, all he was going through all of Spielberg's movies and reviewing them all, oh. and uh, his ET one was the longest. Like most of his reviews were twenty minutes, his ET one was like forty five minutes. And the reason was because he was talking about how him and his a really close childhood friend of his like loved ET, like they watched ET, they kind of bonded over ET, and they felt like a really strong friendship over this idea, like oh maybe an alien will come to visit us. Yeah. And his friend, you know, he was probably I think he said he was like eight or nine when this happened, and and you know in the years after it came out you know a year or so later his friend um got ill i don't know with what but died and so he discusses this like that et is a movie that he rarely watches not because he doesn't like it but that because it's such a like impactful movie to him that he can't too emotional yeah like he watches it and he just he turns into a blubbering mess when he watches it and i just remember watching that and again it's it's what i think is so remarkable that it's 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 literally a kids movie mm-hmm. and this kind of impact you know what what kids movie has come out in the past 20 years that has had anywhere near the impact on people's lives that this did you know it's, well, it, that's I, what i think is so remarkable about it probably it's, it's, harry potter films i think like sure yeah that, that's a yourself, good point yeah if you um, put yourself into the mind but even then like it would of, be the yeah. earlier the earlier harry potter movies and even then i would say that those movies don't look really i'm not have... arguing that they're as good as et trust me I'm, oh I'm no not no arguing but that. i mean they, they they don't even have to me um and i grew up with those movies as well but they don't really have the emotional toll especially I don't like the so. earlier ones i think are the good ones yeah. um you know they, they kind of fall apart near the end but um <laughs> but i think that that's even harry potter i would say that's a really good example of something that got close mm-hmm. um but even then like i in terms of shaping lives, and I mean, of course, there are people who are super fans of Harry Potter, just like Star Wars. Um, but I think just from the content alone, just from the emotional subject matter of the content, right. I don't really think there's anything like E.T. I don't think there's anything arguably that might ever be made again. Um, and again, I, I talk like about my love for these Amblin type movies, which is yeah. like, you know, Mrs. Doubtfire. Free well, and, we, and even um, beyond that, I mean, we talked a little bit, you know, it's you know again to kind of like examine the landscape a little bit to contrast it i mean we talked we barely touched on it but you know the difference of 1971 and 1982 it's Mm -hmm. not just that et is one of the first films of this you know exploding blockbuster era i mean we really see a reshaping of the what films are produced how they're produced how they're released um audience taste i mean we're seeing a big shift here but, you know, we also see something interesting, I think, in in the I would say, you know, it's not like this is the first film, but it was, I think, in the first couple of years of this happening. But these I don't know how to say it, but like teen centered films, right, or kids yeah. films. So and you drawn a dis- distinction. I think it's important. It's not family films, but yeah. it's films where 
the main characters are kids or teenagers and and they're not looked down upon necessarily yeah like they swear and they yeah they're 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 portrayed realistically right Um, and so you've got films you know everything from you can kind of bracket it for you know it's like you have films that are like goonies which are are still pretty much like family friendly but you know they're they're treating the children as actual human beings and main characters and then you, you know on the other side too you have like you have fast times at ridgemont high you even have films like porkies you've got even like, like empire of the sun which is another spielberg movie that was kind of christian bale's big break but it's very right. much centered on him as a yeah. kid in in the second world war and i don't think um, there were a ton of those before yeah. i don't think no, there were a no, lot of films that were not. centered yeah. around you know children or teenagers or adolescents yeah. being main characters and so i think this this kind of was a big part of that shift um and, and, and i and, you know what i think is actually interesting about you having mentioned harry potter Mm-hmm. I think the most, even though Christopher Columbus, who like did Home Alone, which is, you know, arguably sort of a similar stature of that type of thing, the kid in Home Alone. Right. Hugh, quite, Hughes, Hughes yeah. wrote it and Columbus directed it. Is that yeah. right? For the yes. first one? Um, okay. And so, but you look at, um, and I think they both returned actually for the second. Columbus definitely did. And I think John Hughes wrote the second as well. Um, but I know that was um, right near the end of his career. I, yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um I think it's interesting that you mentioned Harry Potter because so Christopher Columbus directed the first two and then um, uh, Corone directed the third um, yeah. uh, Prisoner of Azkaban, which I think is the best Harry Potter movie. But that is because it is it is done in that style. Um, and I think where you lose it with the fourth and onwards of Harry Potter is that you get into this very this kind of modern era of like young adult novels where it's like, Oh, we're seriously cool. We're like oh, action like, movies. What and... was the vampire one? The oh, the mortal vampires? instrument. Oh, twinkle... twilight, twilight, twilight. Named... God. Yeah. So, I mean, um, these are all films. Like... And so that's what I found the later Harry Potter movies kind of got into, but the third one, especially really stuck with this, this kind of amplification, like I say Amblin, because of course that's Spielberg's company. Yeah. But, yep. um, the, that, and his first this, film. this real, yeah. And his first, yeah, exactly. Um, and you get this realistic approach of, um, of, of childhood. And and I think it's, it's really funny again, that, that you did mention Harry Potter because, um, again, that, that those first three really do follow that formula. Um, well, I couldn't speak to it. You know, I haven't, I've seen the Harry Potter films, but I have not seen them in so long and i i have to be honest they did not make a substantial impact on me yeah no me again i i grew up in the, the ripe era to love those movies and i never really was super interested in them but yeah. three was the one that really like three Stands is up. actually very yeah. very good um but um but no I, I think it's it's again it's interesting that this um this again this era of of films like movies that you could bring the whole family to see but that aren't pandering that they're they're not going to the again spielberg clearly i mean people have talked about this forever you know i mean this is something that every film critic who's ever even you know tossed a a casual glance spielberg's way has noted that he you know really does have you know his especially in his early work that his the, the child inside of him was yeah. you know yeah. he was he had such ready access to that and you talked about you know working with actors uh eliciting you know uh, amazing performances from young actors i think that's a big part of it you watch the bts stuff you know of which there's about an at least an hour of on the et disc um and maybe on youtube or other places where it's just you know kind of raw bts footage 
um, of Spielberg and a lot of it is of him working with the actors and you can really see I mean he had an extraordinary rapport mm-hmm. uh, really had a, an amazing intuition about how to work with these kids but even with you know the the content with the writing with the I mean he really did know how to tap into like the heart of children he really yeah did. and 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 to make things such to a degree like kids movies before et were movies that i would say adults didn't have interest in it that that mm-hmm. like as a parent you wouldn't really pay attention um or it was kind of a slog to bring your kid to go see it because it was like right i'm gonna have to sit through this you know this cartoon or this this silly like movie about some you know dancing orphans or something yeah um, <laughs> not that i don't like oliver twist but um but then well, i thought you when get you said dancing point... dancing orphans i thought you were talking about annie oh annie too yeah there you go but then you get to this point of of spielberg which is like not only are is the movie good just from a technical standpoint like not mm. only is it well made well produced um but it's it's accessible to such a wide variety of people yeah. That like you can be a parent and go into this and relate to the dynamics of like a mother wanting to protect her kids. You can be yeah. a kid and go into this and relate to the idea of like this school. I mean, even when I visited you in California, I remember one of the first things I said when we were in your neighborhood was I was like, this remind like this your neighborhood <laughs> reminds me of ET. Yeah, it's got it that does. like those like those wide streets, those yep. rolling kind of, you know, California we, hills and so We live California. in a very similar looking place, yes. And it's, um yeah. But it, you know, to, to to for me to think about that to make a a movie that is you know family friendly that is that is sort of centered on kids and have it have such a cultural impact is is really and it to me it really has inspired me a lot as a as a filmmaker because I also realize like there's a lot of times when people really want to go to the extra mile of cynicism and they want to go to the extra mile of like violence and drama and I remember uh, a friend of mine and I were writing this short. Um, uh, a few years ago and um, it was like he wrote the first draft and then asked me to basically do like a punch-up revision of it mm-hmm. and one of the things that I talked to him about while we were doing it was I was like can I take out like all of the adult stuff like can I just strip it of like the really really adult oriented content that would make it kind of like an R rating kind of right. like the more like gritty violent um, lots of swearing and stuff like that and I was like can I strip that away if you don't like it we can go back to it but let me try and turn this into something that's a lot more sort of Amblin-esque, which is uh-huh. like this, like that it's still like, there's still like a little bit of swearing. There's still kind of this, these like more mature themes, but at the same time, it's got like a really nice message to it. It's got right, this like right. really, it's really sort of heartwarming at the end. It's very emotional. Um, the movie's never been made just because it would require a budget, but um, but no, I remember like thinking about that and kind of thinking back to this idea of just like, you know, you can make content that that children can see yeah. that doesn't also shy away from more serious topics. And I, and I think it's like, it, right, I think, yes, it's it's like, it, it's, it's real. So it's emotionally real. Yeah. And there is like, and so that realness to it is like, you know, yeah, you know, kids use certain language and, you know, in real life and all these kind of things. So it has like a realness to it, but it's not... It's it doesn't have like mean intentions. It doesn't mm-hmm. have like like the heart is in a good like you feel like all of these films. Like I'm going back and I'm looking at all of these Amblin movies, you know, and everything from Poltergeist to Gremlins, Goonies, Back to the Future, 
I mean, Inner Space, you know, so many of these films, I had forgotten how many films they had produced. I mean, mm -hmm. he, they do get into a little bit, like, for instance, in 91, they actually produced Cape Fear, which is a little bit of an anomaly if you look yeah, at Yeah, which all was originally supposed to be Spielberg, too, that did it. Yeah. Like he swapped out on that for Schindler's List with Scorsese. But, and we have films like um, Saving Private Ryan, you know, um, which are quite different. But, uh, yeah, I mean, for the most part, there's like this... this this goodness i don't know if like a better way Gen to say i would it, almost but... say like it's like genuine like again i i, I refer to it as this but a like, goodness too there's it's this genuine, idea that there's yeah. there's no cynicism to it yes and i like yeah. that that it's not it's not taking the subject matter hard. and like yeah. mocking it or being cynical about like the yeah. truth of life and stuff like that it's it's that's a good even to down it. to schindler's list which is arguably probably spielberg's like most difficult movie to watch um and i know that it gets a lot of criticism for um people like i know uh hanukkah said um like michael hanukkah said that it was like too happy at the end which i don't find i don't think it's a very happy ending but um i don't think it's i like i've never really been one to punish spielberg for like the sentimental sentimentality that yeah. he has or the just the idea like the 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 general optimism that he tends to put into a lot of his movies um I've always right. just kind of been like it's it's somewhat of a nice break sometimes yeah. because so many movies are very nihilistic or very cynical. <laughs> they are. Um, it's sometimes it's nice to kind of, you know, watch a movie and be like, that made me feel good. <laughs> but, and you know uh, what? Yeah. And, and you know what? I feel like uh, I, I feel the same way about podcast. Sometimes it's nice yeah. to just have a podcast where when you get to the end of it, you just feel good. I hope so. <laughs> and I And I hope that that's what... Everybody out there listening, if you've made it this far in, I hope that you feel good. Yeah. yeah. So I know that I do, having had this conversation. I always mm -hmm. enjoy these uh, these discussions, Colin, and um, I, I look forward to where we go next now that we have expanded our horizons. Yeah, the, the sky's and, the limit, baby. And our <laughs> options. So so it'll be fun to see what, what, we, what we decide to go to next. But uh, thank you so much, everybody, for hanging in there with us. Uh, mm -hmm. We hope we enjoyed it. And uh, Colin, until next time, everyone, take care. Yeah, bye-bye. <laughs>